0: When I say the words, a closed-door meeting, I don't know what you might think of. You might think of parents. There's a family matter to be discussed. And they step out of the room, and they close the door, and they talk. And they come out. This is the way God would design for parents to function. And then they come out and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we've decided. A closed-door meeting with implications that continue on. There are business leaders and executives that step into a closed session. School boards, they go off camera and they go into closed sessions. They're important meetings that not everybody can watch because they need to come out with a resolution and something is so volatile that if everybody gets their emotions all worked up into it, then the outcome will never be pleasing. The outcome will never accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Sometimes government leaders are in closed sessions and the decisions and the conversations that they have in those phone calls, in those meetings, behind closed doors, it has implications for nations and even the world at times. So when they gather, they have to come with what is the best interest of this country, of what is right, and they make those decisions decisions then they come out and they share what they're able to share we're seeing a closed door meeting here in Galatians chapter 2 this is where the apostles and the church leaders they come together in this passage and let me say this we don't have any details about some of the things of this meeting there's no record of who had a mean face in this meeting who yelled in this meeting? Who left and came back to this meeting? Who was keeping the minutes of this meeting? All of those things are inferior and lesser things. What we have is by design what is healthy for the church, what was the outcome of this meeting? Who was in the meeting? What was discussed and what was the outcome? So, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the gospel, we have for our study this morning the Word of God written down for us where we see this debate unfold between the gospel and legalism, works of the law. God was sovereign over this meeting as he is over every meeting a church has, any church. We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to do what is right, to do what is pleasing to the Lord, which means that we must strive together for unity, that we must contend for the gospel. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Follow along there, uh, if you will. If you don't have a Bible, again, pass this along to guests. If you need a Bible, if somebody you know needs a Bible, take the Bible and give it to them that are under the chairs we want you to have a copy of God's word. Galatians chapter two, and Paul picks up, I mean, we have chapters in the original letter. This wouldn't have been divided. I mean, it would just carried right on from Galatians one, and they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up to, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them Though privately before those who seemed influential. He's going to make that about four times. Yeah, he's going to say that line, seemed influential. He said before them, The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, verse five, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, he adds a little side note here by the Spirit of God, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James, and now here this is the James, which is the half-brother of Jesus. James, the brother of John, has already been beheaded. He's been dead for a long time at this point. When James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars... Perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of God. This morning as we work through uh, this text, we're really looking to answer three questions, so that we can get to the application. Right, we're looking back. Number one, why did Paul go to this important meeting? Why it was, this was sacrifice? If we're going to get there. Why did he go? What was the meeting about? I mean, did the pastor really talk about circumcision? Two thousand nineteen. This is his choice that is handed to him for a sermon on a Sunday. Yep. Okay. So, what's this meeting all about? And thirdly, what's the result? What's the outcome of this meeting? What was the outworking of the meeting. And does it have implications for us today? Yes, very much so. Let's get a a working definition of legalism. Legalism, and and we're talking about religious legalism, is this. David Platt and Tony uh, Merida give a definition here. Working in our own power according to our own rules. And you might say they're traditions, right? Some of you were raised in various religious traditions and you were taught certain things are important and we do this and we don't do that. So working in our own power, according to our own rules, ultimately to earn God's favor. Trying to earn God's favor through what you do, what you don't do, what you wear, what you don't wear, how much you read, how much you, all of these things. God's pleasure in us is not based on our performance for him. God's pleasure in you is not based on what you do for him. Remember that. Let that sink deeply into your heart. He doesn't love you because of what you do for him. He loves you because he is love. And when we have been graced, then we will share this gospel of grace with all peoples. When we have been loved by this God, then it's his love flowing through us that gives us the example of what many of you probably saw in that trial that took place in Texas this week when that young 18-year-old poured out forgiveness that was not of his own resources but poured out grace and forgiveness and wanted and wished best for that police officer that took the life of his brother and implored her to, to go to God, implored her to confess Christ. If you watched that and you saw him ask the judge for the opportunity to go and give this woman who killed his brother a hug and was almost impatient as the judge was trying to compose herself, wipe the tears from her own eyes to think through the question that was just posed to him to be able to say, yes, you can go give her a hug. Where does that kind of love come from? Where does that kind of grace and mercy come from? This morning we're going to see four responsibilities If legalism is going to be demolished, the idea that you can earn your way to God, work your way to God, do anything to merit God's favor, how do we abolish this? How do we absolutely demolish legalism? There's four responsibilities, and in a positive way, how do we fight for unity? Unity in the gospel. How do we fight for unity in the church as brothers and sisters in Christ? Number one, communicate the gospel, and this is what we see in Paul's pattern here. Verses 1 and 2, communicate the gospel. You could write on a side of this, contend for the gospel. A little stronger word. Communicate is they they came together, they sat down, they talked about it, and they they worked through this. No doubt, this was a passionate meeting. There are strong leaders in this meeting, and they came together to communicate the gospel. How do we grow in communicating the gospel? We need to do this letter A is value the truth, and we see this in verse 1. Because Paul valued the truth, he was willing to make this long and arduous journey to Jerusalem, the home office, the mother church. He went there. He chose to go there for the unity of the church and for the message of the cross. The confusion of the Judaizers, they're trying to mix in Jewish conversion. You need to become a Jew to be a good Christian. It's causing havoc in the churches. He has no praise for them in this letter. He's concerned that they're even gonna make it. So he makes this journey. He wasn't brought there. Some of you have seen in church history where certain people were brought before church leaders in in certain rooms and councils and somebody's on trial. That's not this. Martin Luther was put on a trial like that. That's not Paul. He is going as an apostle to sit down behind closed doors and have a very important discussion with these church leaders trying to head off a potential church split, a schism. Are we saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone? Or is it Jesus with a little side of Judaism? That's what the meeting is about. That's why he's bringing Titus. Be glad you're not Titus. His shining moment in the Bible. Uncircumcised Gentile. Brought along by Paul as a visual aid, and we're going to see this unfold. God directed Paul to make this trip, so he went. It was a costly trip. We prioritize our partnerships with our missionaries. I was talking with Harrison just in the recent days, and he's expressing the desire that he wants me to come back and have a a pastor's block conference again. It may be that this is the, what, I, what I bring and teach through Galatians and use what we're using in our small groups and let those pastors and church leaders break out into small groups and say, how do, we, how do we apply this and how do we pray for one another? But that's costly, but it's worth it. Paul made this trip. He made this trip and he goes. The benefits are eternally priceless. So he values the truth and, and then we gotta get to the heart. If we're going to communicate the gospel well, then we have to get to the heart. And that's why Paul goes with accountability. He's not a one-man band. it's not a one-man you know, show. Barnabas is with him. And then there's Titus. You wonder if Titus knew why he was being brought along for this trip. Oh, this would be great. I get to travel with Paul. This is going to be awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, exhibit A, Titus, the uncircumcised Gentile. Are you kidding me? That's the topic of conversation. Yep, that's why he's coming along. Paul depended on brothers that he traveled with. Can I ask you the question: Who are you traveling through life with? Engaged in small group, getting to know one another and growing in grace together as we walk together in this life. Barnabas was a Jew. He was the encouraging brother. We all need that, don't we? We need the encourager. That was Barnabas. We're going to see, Barnabas doesn't always do all that he should do. He gets sucked into some of the vortex of this legalism. Encouraging guy. We're going to see that, God willing, next week. Then there's Titus, the living visual aid. And here's the question over Titus, a Gentile. He hasn't physically converted to be a Jew. Paul's question with Titus in the room with the leaders is Titus a person who has turned from his sin and trusted in Jesus. Is he a Christian or not yet? They have to answer. Is he saved by faith now? Or does he still need to do something in order to guarantee his salvation? circumcision, become a Jew. That's the question. And beloved, the reality is our doctrine is not divorced from relationships and people and life and decisions that are made. It all is together. And Titus is the one who is expressing this. And we see if we're going to communicate the gospel, well, we value the truth and get to the heart and encourage church leaders Paul went, he was fully yielded to obeying the Lord, knowing that God cares about his church and holding on and having strong leaders who serve him for life. And those enemies of Paul were trying to push Paul out and take over the churches. They were, in essence, trying to force church splits. 2,000 years ago, and they were acting up big time. They're asserting Paul. He's not aligned with Jerusalem. Jerusalem's message, that's where we're from. We're Jews. We're bringing you this message. And who's on our team? Oh, we've got Peter on our team. We've got James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's on our team. And, you know, John, he's on our team. The church leaders, they're all backing us. Paul's out of line with the truth. So where does Paul go? Straight to the epicenter. Straight to headquarters. If we're going to deal with this, If we're going to handle this, it's going to happen in a face-to-face, sitting down together and working through this. Paul wasn't an employee of the Jerusalem church. He wasn't going there afraid that he might lose his position or get fired. He was called and commissioned by God. He knew this, and so he went. Understand who's in this meeting that we know of. Someone that we don't know of but traveled with Paul is Luke. The ones that we know are in this meeting, Paul, James, John, Peter, and Titus. If you look at these individuals and you factor in Luke, who traveled with Paul, we're talking about the whole of the New Testament is in this meeting. If they get this meeting wrong, you're not, and I'm not holding the same New Testament in our hands this morning. This meeting is a big meeting that's happening behind closed doors. So they get there. I want you to understand, Paul was not asking for their permission. He wasn't asking for their blessing. He knew what the message of the gospel was and is and forever will be, so he went. He was going there because God led him to go, And but Paul was more concerned with protecting the gospel than he was preventing a church split. Beloved, as pastors, as elders in this congregation, we are committed to protecting the gospel more than we are to keeping people in the seats. And the people of God must recognize that as the most loving thing that we can do to protect. It's shepherding. Paul knew This can go south. This can go in a separation. This is a big deal. But if you compromise the gospel with legalism, you ruin the gospel, and then you have no message to save the souls of dying men and women. What do you have now? Religion. Paul came out of religion. He's not going back from where he was delivered. Like the man who ran out of North Korea, Paul was drug out of religion by Jesus Christ and he was set free and forgiven and on no terms was he ever going back. That's what this meeting is about. This is an important meeting. So he get there. And he keeps saying this phrase, they seemed to be influential. Do you see how he's careful to not add too much weight to them? But he's also not disrespecting them. But he's not going to give Peter, James, and John more honor and glory than Jesus. They seem to be pillars. They seem to be influential. He says this uh, in a variation of that phrase four times in this text. It's becoming more routine for church members to leave membership from one church and go to another without receiving godly counsel from the pastors and elders of those churches. And it's not just our church, it's not just, just churches in our nation. I have these conversations with our partnership, our missionary partnerships around the world. It's devastating. There's a healthy way to leave a church and there's an unhealthy way to separate from a body of believers. When an unhealthy, and I'll say, you know, with the funeral yesterday, it's never easy for a church member to leave. Even when they die. That's not easy. What's your option? For your pastors to not love the people and then they don't care. Yeah, go somewhere else. Somebody else will come and take the place. But when you love people and you pour your life out into people and then there's a separation, even when it's a job transfer, even when it's, it hurts, but there's a healthy way and an understandable way of leaving and then there's an unchrist like unhealthy way of forsaking membership to go somewhere else. Many churches deal with disunity, but keep in mind, beloved, God is sovereign. Even in the realm of people going from one church to another, God is sovereign. He's in control. I've observed, and others as well, friends in ministry, I'm going to give you four unhealthy ways to leave a church. You need to know these. You need to understand these. Some of you may be struggling, or you know people who have struggled with these very areas. You have to know that the heart of a shepherd loves people even when they leave. My responsibility as a messenger is to give you the message. Your responsibility then is to take that message and do with that message what honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about these four ways, we have to think about these departures in light of the cross. Imagine these things unfolding standing at the foot of the cross. Keep this context because that is in fact where we live. We don't live removed from the shadow of the cross. The first way is the divine trump card. God has called me to do this. God has told me to do this. God is telling me, and there's no invitation at all in a humble way of saying, God may be leading me to do thus and such. God may be leading me to go here or there. What do you say, my shepherds? Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. You have the rule. You have the watch over my soul. Do you see this? Will you pray with me about this? Beloved, if God ever calls and someone ever stands here and says, God has called me to go here and do this and it doesn't happen, can I guarantee you God didn't lie? God doesn't lie. So that's the divine trump card. It invites no conversation. It's just done. And if you question, if you push back, if you challenge, you're challenging God. That's, that's not a healthy way to ever leave membership. The other is a breakup. I think this church is amazing. I love this church. I love the pastors. I'm thankful for the pastors. Uh, but I'm, I'm going somewhere else. I'm moving on. It's just done. Done. That's not a healthy way. There's the consumer. Well, you know, this church over here, they actually do give ponies away to to children. I'm going there. I mean, come on, it's a pony. You know, Super Bowl tickets. Remember the video I've showed? Super Bowl tickets to go join there? I'm there, pastor. I mean, that's awesome. You should see the kids building and the band and the this and the that, and, and they will meet my needs. There's people in my age group over there. They do things for me. They'll serve me better. That's the consumer. It's not a a healthy way to leave a church. The question is this, did God place you in a body of believers? So there's a healthy way and there's an unhealthy way. The other is the vanishing. They were here and suddenly people are saying, what happened to brother or sister so-and-so? Where'd they go? They just disappeared. Maybe you text them, you call them and nothing comes back just gone. Beloved, the church is affected by this. The mission is affected by this. Our effectiveness, as we'll see it all culminate in verse 10, of ministering to the needs of the poor and ministering the gospel, it's all connected. So there's a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And by God's grace, we will adorn and not obscure the gospel as we stand in grace firmly. Some of you were here on Easter Sunday 2006 when I I was standing right there where Ginger's sitting. I said, will you lock arms with us? And some of you, you did, you have. You remain in that way, arms locked together. What is God gonna do through this body of believers? How will we reach the world? How will we impact families in our community? And I praise God for all that has been accomplished. Paul is honoring the leadership. He goes. He has a difficult conversation with them. He's driven, he's passionate, and so are they. What matters, what's true. What pleases the Lord Jesus? Everything else, everything else is a lesser thing. Always in danger of being made the more important thing and a reason to separate in fe- fellowship. if we're going to communicate the gospel then the last letter deed here is evaluate the message and ministers according to scripture evaluate the message and ministers by the scriptures not by opinion not by position what does the bible say what are they saying does it match Perfect? Nope, that's Jesus. Measure the message and the ministers by Scripture. This is what John Phillips writes. He says this, Paul had not the slightest shadow of doubt that he was right, and that the Judaizers who emanated from Jerusalem were preaching a lie. Paul did not need the endorsement of the Jerusalem elders to validate his gospel, but he certainly needed for them to do something about their homegrown Judaizers who were trailing after him, rendering his ministry and his efforts vain by subverting his converts to Judaism. I know what that feels like. To labor and see Someone or their family come to faith in Christ and someone else come in alongside. Some, have you read this book? Some internet website, some video on YouTube and boom, they're gone. They're taken away. Paul is seeing this on a widespread scale happen through the Galatian churches. So he's going to the epicenter. Tim Keller says it this way. He said, nothing was threatening Paul's certainty, but something was threatening his fruitfulness. So when he says, I don't want to run in vain, he's saying, I don't want to plow and plant in another field only to have these false brothers come in with their their pigs and rip all the seed out of the field and haul it away. So he's saying, get control of your beasts, because they're using your name, they're speaking for you, and they're contrary to the gospel. So communicate the gospel, and number two, confront gospel threats. Listen closely now, because the legalist on this point will say, "Whoa, yes, confront." I'm good at confronting because that person doesn't wear what I think they should wear and that person doesn't listen to what I think they should listen to. And they went in this entertainment to that way and I'm, woo, sign me up for the confrontation crew. Uh-uh. Confront gospel threats. That's what Paul is doing. He's going for the jugular here. You have to understand the argument. The showdown is over a man named Titus his failure to come into Judaism. And this is grace versus law. What are you going to say about Titus? Genesis 17 is where God gives to Abraham, Father Abraham, the covenant sign of circumcision. And with every covenant, there's a shedding of blood. Abraham was 99, 99 when God said, Abraham, you're going to do something. And this is going to signify that you belong to me and I have separated you out from all of the nations. And it was the act. It was the sign of circumcision. His son Ishmael was a teenager. Thanks, Dad. God said, what? And for a Jewish boy, on the eighth day after they were born, they would be circumcised. And it's a practical sign that every male in Israel would be reminded of on a routine basis, I'm not like everybody else on this planet. My God is the God of the planet, and I belong to him and I'm set apart, and I'm to be pure, and I'm to be holy, and every married couple would be reminded our offspring that comes through procreation is set apart to be holy unto the Lord, and when the baby boy would come into this world, and they would go to the temple on day eight, and they would carry forth this sign of circumcision that would be an act done in the temple saying, we consecrate this boy to you, and what do you want? A godly nation who who represent you throughout this whole world. There's a God who is merciful and a God who is gracious and a God who saves. And understand this, not one Jewish man, ever though circumcised, gave birth or brought into this world a seed that wasn't tainted by sin. Every sinner, do you know what sinners reproduce? Sinners. Even though circumcised, Still produced a sinner. Except for one. Jesus. Joseph wasn't his father. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And what was in her was of the Holy Spirit. This child grew in her, born of a virgin. No tainted bloodline flowing through Jesus Christ. That's why the virgin birth is essential. So as we look at this, here's Titus. And it's all about this. He's a Gentile. What does he have to do with this? Identify the real danger in verse 4. Paul says, let me tell you, there's a group. There's a covert operation that's gone in here. These false brothers they're seeking to spy out our freedoms. They're coming in. They like our songs. They like our, our, our atmosphere. They like our fellowship. They say, oh, me too. Oh, that's great. Love your preaching. Oh, that's wonderful. And then they lock in, and then they bring out their, hey, I have this for sale. Hey, about that book. Hey, here's my custom. Hey, here's my tradition. Here's my thing. And it moves up to par with gospel. That's what's being dealt with in this text. They're coming in to spy out our freedoms. They will ingratiate themselves to believers and then take them away captive into, here's your list of do's and here's your list of don'ts. And if you do all of those things, then you'll be a good Christian like me as if you're the standard or I'm the standard. it's easier pray five times a day read you know i grew up I, I, listen what is this i remember when a young man with an earring would not be allowed to be baptized in our church that's taking your standard and making it equal to gospel that's not good that's not right Because God looks on the heart. Man looks on the where? Outward appearance. And God, Samuel, my prophet, I searched the heart always about the heart. Old Testament and New Testament, always about the heart. Tim Keller writes this in in this uh, resource, Galatians for you. I just want to read this because I find it helpful and this will be helpful as we engage in our small groups. He says this, what are common ways in which we might fail to preserve the message today? Some churches and Christians have adapted the gospel to the modern world by removing offensive elements like miracles of any sort, or the demand that we can only come to God through Christ. But then the gospel is itself gone, since we are left in a position of having to save ourselves by being good. That is a failure to preserve. On the other hand, it is possible to go too far in the other direction. This is the direction of legalism, and fail to adapt. Many churches and Christians are so wedded to their music or organization or jargon that they are not willing to make changes to incorporate the tastes and sensibilities of outsiders. Ironically, if you under-adapt or overadapt, you lose the gospel. If you raise your traditions to the place of non-negotiables, you essentially create a system of legalism. You are saying, real Christians always do things this way. So both conservatism and legalism, non-adaption, can threaten the gospel just as much as liberalism does. That's a good... That's a good word. Identify the real danger and stand firmly. Stand your ground firmly on grace. Paul stood his ground, verse 5. He stood his ground, said to them, yeah, just have, listen, just have Titus circumcised and we can be done with this. You know, do we really, this meeting's kind of getting long. You know, it's really, we're talking about circumcision. I mean, come on, can we get, get, just get, get it done already? If you love us, you know, just do what we're asking. No. And again, no. Let me pray. Never mind. I don't need to pray about it. No. Is he a Christian or is he not? What saves him? Something he does or what God did? Beloved, as your pastor, I need for you to get this. Because if we don't get this, we won't be overwhelmed by the gospel and we'll be condescending to people who don't keep our standard. And we'll also cower before people. But when we understand the gospel, we're set free. There's freedom. I'm loved. I'm a child of God and I'm free to obey and I'm free to love and serve for the glory of Christ. So stand your ground firmly on grace. And Paul says, I'm going to bat for you, your salvation. The message is all in line and I went there to preserve the truth. Beloved, that's our responsibility. As we stand our ground firmly in grace, that preserves the truth. And you can't let one drop of poison in there, God has worked on me through this. Over the years in many ways. Communicate the gospel. Confront gospel threats. Number three, confirm gospel leaders. The verdict is given here. Do not edit the gospel. The Jerusalem leaders, verses six through nine, Paul is saying, they didn't change my message one bit. They didn't add anything to my message. They didn't take away anything from my message. Paul was humble. He was willing. He sat down with them. He said, here's what I'm preaching. Here's the results of the preaching. Here's Titus. Titus, is this happening? Yeah, that's what's happened. That's how I came to faith in Christ. I used to be at the temple, but now I serve Jesus and I'm part of his church. That's what the gospel does. Yeah, that's right. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel did in Jerusalem. That's what the gospel's doing over there. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, I have the Holy Spirit. Well, God's given his spirit, and they're working through this, they're wrestling through this. This demands this important meeting. And Paul is saying they didn't edit my message. Now listen, when I was going through seminary, I was writing my papers. I would just write my paper. I would just get my stuff, get everything laid out, and I would just write the paper, write the paper, write the paper. And then I printed it, and I would hand it to Ginger, and I would give her a red pen. And I'd say, now I need you to edit. And she'd be what? What do you mean? You know, she'd take a red pen, just edit all over, you know, marks. And she'd hand it back to me. I'm like, what? It was way better than this, you know? Come on. But she read it from a different perspective, because you know how it is. When you thought, I thought I said that clearly. Good grief, I've listened back to some of my sermons. I didn't say that. Oh, I did say that. How'd that? I thought I was saying this. And I said something completely different. And so she would hand it back to me and she would edit the message and I could rework it. And it helped me a lot because then somebody else could read it after it had already gone through a once over. And I could come with a fresh mind, look at it again, and, and straighten out some of the mess. And it helped me a lot. When Paul laid his message out, and they're like, yep, thank you, Paul. We're glad you're here. I don't have a red pen. Somebody, oh, Peter, thank you very much. You got the red pen. And, um, nope, that looks good. No, that looks good, yeah. Uh, you, You can have your pen back. This is a good message. He didn't come through our school. He didn't have our permission. He got the message from God. Hmm, that's why it's the same trustworthy message. So he confirmed do not edit the gospel. Don't add to anything. We just read that from Keller. Don't take away anything to the gospel. Do not improperly elevate men. Some of you were raised in traditions where, where Peter was elevated and you were taught that that was, you better elevate Peter or you better elevate even Mary. But here we see when the dust settles, they say, wow, wow. The same God has given the same message through Jesus about Jesus to Peter and Paul. These guys are equals in the ministry. And we're going to see it unfold next week. Peter messes up, and Paul, the latecomer, takes him to the mat. You have to come back for that. Just a little teaser. Dun, 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 commercial, all right? Come back for that next week. Right? You don't want to miss that. They're stronger together. God is sovereign over Peter. God is sovereign over Paul. And so letter C is we have to know who to embrace and who to exclude. They embraced Paul and Barnabas. They embraced Titus. And what, the, what we have here is a first century snapshot you, you understand that what happens now, sometimes it's used in ways of bullying, that people go, and sometimes kids, they're, they're mean, and adults too, but they go places and they take pictures with certain people, and then they post it on social media, we're included, we're in the group, we're here, you're not. Okay, un- keep this in mind. This is first century, and this is what Paul is doing when he writes to them, and now he name drops. He has not he said, they seem to be influential, they seem to be influential, they seem to be something, they seem to be pillars, and now he uses James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write the letter of James, and Peter, 1st and 2nd Peter, through him comes the gospel of Mark, and he says, and John, the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation He said, here we are, and they have extended the right hand of fellowship. So he's like, hey, let's get a picture of this gathering. And that's what this is in this letter. Let's get together, but but hang on a second. We're forgetting somebody. Titus, Titus, come on over. Right here, son, right in the middle. And here we are around him. Now take the picture. Okay, understand when they embrace Paul and Barnabas and Titus, that means somebody's not in the picture. Somebody, some group just got excluded. It's the Judaizers who were quoting these guys. Oh, no, uh, you know, Peter, he's on our side. Su- oh, I, I, I'm sorry, did you see this picture? Isn't that Peter? I mean, they didn't have pictures, it's, it's written. But that's what they would have understood. Oh, is it, this Peter? This, you're quoting James? Here, here he is with Paul. What just happened to your message? What just happened to all your accusations? They're done. When they give him the right hand of fellowship, they're excluding the Judaizers, the false brothers. They're outside of it. Listen to what Tim Keller, he says. He says, giving the right hand was just as much a sign of friendship, cooperation, and approval in the ancient world as it is today. This was more than a gesture of courtesy. This act had the effect of isolating and discrediting the false teachers. They could no longer claim to represent James, Peter, and John by including Paul, Barnabas, and the uncircumcised Titus. The Jerusalem apostles were excluding the false teachers. By establishing gospel unity, they were also settling the boundaries of that unity, setting the boundaries of that unity. And I love this, the false brothers were outside of it. That's what they're doing with this. Here's the gospel. Here's the men entrusted with the gospel. And they set the parameter. And now this letter is going out. This letter is going out as an example. This is how Paul handled conflict. This is how he handled this gospel issue. He went to the source of it. Now he's saying, Do you see what I did? Do you see how I went to bat for you? I love you. The gospel is on the line. Now I'm expecting you to do the same. Know who to embrace. And know who to exclude for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the testimony of Christ. You say, oh, that's so unloving for Paul to do that. They were bringing a message, taking their opinions, traditions, and perspective and equaling it to the gospel. Therefore, they were polluting the gospel. The loving thing for Paul to do was to confront them. Lastly, we see cooperate. In verse 10, there's a request. It's kind of a little asterisk here, kind of like an epilogue here. It's just kind of, oh, they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. You didn't even have to twist my arm. We're stronger together, beloved. You've heard the saying, a chain is only as strong as, a weak, as its weakest link. Paul is inviting, come, come, Galatian believers, get back in this realm and exclude the Judaizers. That's their only hope for salvation, is that they repent like Saul of Tarsus repented and they trust in Christ alone. So then welcome them in, but not without repentance, not without a change of mind, not without a change of heart. So they have an urgent request. Can you remember the poor? Early on, believers were not called Christians, they were called saints. They were called the brethren. You see, love one another. They were followers of the way. And there was another name for them, the poor. When they asked Paul, can you help remember the poor? We have needs here. What do you think he was thinking? There's a lot of these people who are poor because of me. I imprisoned the breadwinner in the family or I saw over was overseeing the stoning of the breadwinner of the family and they're poor because of me, Saul of Tarsus, now Paul. So you don't have to twist my arm. Beloved, If a church is constantly just fractures, fractures, our effectiveness to our mission partnerships is greatly affected. Our light shining here and our light shining around the world. Paul went to the epicenter. They dealt with the gospel issues. They got in that closed door meeting. They came out and declared the goodness of God, the grace of God, the gospel. They were resolved in this. And then Paul and everybody else gets to go back in those Gentile world and they say, hey, We don't have to become a physical Jew to be saved. Praise God. But could we help those people who are suffering in Jerusalem? And through them, we have Jesus. He is a Jew. Love to. And generosity unfolds. Now what do you have? It's not just a forging of those men in the room that through much of through the, the testament comes through them by the spirit of God. Now you have a forging across nations, across continents, across racism is demolished. And now you see a strengthening of the church where what Satan meant for evil, God sovereignly meant for good. This is the value of the gospel. So we cooperate together. In sharing the gospel, when we minister to young women, Monica was in the first service. And then Isaiah two, remember the poor, and respond to the need. How we, we have to ask ourselves these questions: How are we doing on this? Are we responding to the poor? Are we responding? Are we are we stingy with our money? Do we think that we buy services at the church with the offering that we give, or are we generous? see a need and our heart is moved with compassion and we help and we give and it's a priority to us Monica was in the first service and she has a heart for these young ladies who get pregnant outside of marriage she's always garnering support to to help and bless that ministry. And I'm so thankful for that. Our ladies are preparing this week on Friday and on Saturday. They're going to open Wednesday night after the midweek to bring in donations. And they are going to have the rummage sale Friday and Saturday. And if you want to help Terry with that, if you want to help Kathy with that, why? Because they're a burden. And they said, Elders, do you think that we could do this and be a blessing to these, the light of life, these Yazidi ladies, these refugees? And uh, just go ahead and twist our arm, ladies. Yeah. Oh, let's think. Okay, yes. Here's how we can do this. Here's how we can be effective. And you say, well, I'm out of town. I can't help. But here, I can give money to that. Well, then just give a donation and put on it light of life. But they have, they sensed a burden to take care of ladies. They don't know these ladies. What moves their heart with compassion? Love. The love of God. And so they're calling. We can can get around that and we can support the stronger we are as a church, the more effective we are in spreading the light of the gospel around the world. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. So here's the summary. If the next page will come up. Communicate the gospel. Confront gospel threats. Confirm gospel leaders and cooperate. Solely Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. If you're here this morning and you have never responded in faith to the gospel, my question is always this, what is your next step? I don't want you leaving without saying, what is my next step? I'm not asking you to give the step to the person sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you. I'm saying, what is your next step? Have you ever received this gospel? Titus received the gospel. He was changed from the inside out. Religion can't do that. What is your next step in following Jesus? Take that step today. We're going to close by singing the song, All I Am. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice, no longer my own. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. And what's that refrain? I lift my hands up. God, I surrender. All that I am, solely Deo Gloria. Your glory alone. Can I ask you that bold question? Whose glory are you living for? Are you living for your glory Or the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the clarity of the gospel. Thank you for your your grace, this unmerited favor that you have poured out on us in Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for those who faithfully invest their lives into the work of the gospel. Those who have locked their arms over the years and we've gone through good times and we've gone through difficult times and we've experienced great blessing and in abundance and we have and are in a time experiencing of lack and in all things, Lord, you're good and we trust you. So help us, O oh Father, to communicate the gospel well. Oh Father, I pray that you will help us in love and in grace to confront gospel threats. Help us to give the confirmation to those who are called to lead. And Father, may we cooperate with one another in our small groups, with one another in this church family, with our mission partnerships that we love dearly, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. So here we are, Lord, saying it again this morning. We belong to you. All I am is yours. And maybe there's someone here today that this would be the first time and they would say, I surrender my life to you. I turn from my sin and I trust in Jesus alone and you will save them if they call upon you. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.